This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hi there, and welcome once again to the Science of Magic. Gwilda Wiecka here, bringing yet more dynamic guests and topics to help us enter a deeper understanding of life and our place in it. This hour, we'll pursue our interconnectedness as we consider continuity. We've been living in an age supporting separation, polarization, and tunnel vision. Be it right or wrong, true or false, logical or emotional, scientific or magical, everything has been viewed as mutually exclusive. Many sources indicate we're now entering a time that supports unity and multidimensionality, a time of continuity whereby polarized approaches are becoming increasingly dysfunctional. We're being challenged to find where things meet and agree in order to embrace a larger truth for wisdom to evolve. How can this be achieved? There's one element that binds all things together, love. Yet we understand so little of love. Love is not an emotion, though we have an emotional response to it. To the quantum physicist, love is scalar energy. To the mystic, the very breath of God. To the philosopher, it's the essence that fills the space between all things. Unity and continuity is complex and can only be understood from a multidimensional, multidisciplined viewpoint, one which embraces both science and magic. Our guest this hour appears to be well qualified to help us delve into this concept. With us is Forrest Landry, a philosopher, writer, researcher, scientist, software developer, engineer, and craftsman. He's the founder of and CEO of Magic Flight, a B2C wood products design and manufacturing company. Skilled in large-scale software systems, design, applications, and architecture, he's completed production work in several federal projects, including supporting FBI investigative capacities and the Library of Congress Congressional Records System. He's also the author of several books and essays on foundational ethics, ontology, and the philosophy of life. His website, 
magic-flight.com. Forrest, thank you so much for joining us on The Science of Magic. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you think we're in the middle of a shift in reality? Uh, I think reality is shifting all the time, and uh, it's quite a ride. It's fun to enjoy and to be alive. <laughs> it seems to be exhilarating during these days. Uh, what's causing this shift? Um, well, I don't necessarily know that I could speak to causality at the level of what's happening in politics or in the world today, other than to say that um, you know the, the things that we all know, uh, major changes in the climate, major changes in the economy, uh, new ideas being brought forward, uh, new technologies being brought forward, uh, all of these things influencing people and civilization in multiple ways. Um, as, uh, as I was saying before, uh, we live in interesting times, and uh, we should... Uh, of course, uh, learn as best as we can uh, how to how to basically be in that context. <laughs> so here's an interesting one. What is wisdom? Wisdom, I I think, is a capacity to integrate, um, you know, our experiences in our life and to be able to respond in a holistic way to the situations that we find ourselves in. So, you know, there's a there's a kind of maturity element which has to do with. Um, you know, how we respond to situations, our level of responsibility. And, and then really we want to take that to, to sort of a level of, of inclusiveness. So in other words, not just uh, responding to our own needs or being responsible just for ourselves, but also uh, being responsible to the environment, looking at the, the larger context of choices that people are making and trying to essentially, um, I, I guess you could say that there's an element of enablement uh, in the process of wisdom. It's, it's sort of responding from a deeper perspective. My shamanic teacher taught me to always try to consider the best that serves all concerned, and that's all of our relations, including plants and animals. Is this kind of part of what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the Native American uh, thing of thinking about the next seven generations is, is absolutely vital to having a, a really good, solid perspective. When we're making choices, if we're just thinking about the short term, uh, we're not going to make as good choices as if we sort of think about the larger context, what's truly win-win for all people involved at at all levels of being. Um, so in other words, it's not that we have to, um, you know, make a choice that's either or. We, we basically want to make choices that are both and. Yeah, we're going to have to take a we're going to have to take a short break. Boris and I will okay. return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. Prior innovative episodes can be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. The Science of Magic is produced by Realma McConnell Media Company, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good to Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back, folks. This is the Science and Magic dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Forrest Landry. 
an author, philosopher, researcher, scientist, software developer, engineer, and craftsman. His website, magic-flight.com. Forrest, we were talking about the importance of considering the the seventh generation, of considering all concerned in our decision-making um, coming from wisdom. And it seems like we've been living in a very short-sighted period, haven't we? I, I would think so, yeah. There's a, there's a tendency for people to think in terms of optimizing. So they, they want to you know, optimize the number of people that are clicking on their website, or they want to optimize the number of sales or the number of voters and, and things like that. Whereas really we live in a world that, that is more about the kinds of relationships that we have. Um, we constantly ask each other what's important, what is the most meaningful thing. And that that sort of focus about um, looking at the deeper meanings, looking at the deeper connections and the relationships and the kind of values that we fulfill with each other is, is something that um, you know, we need to practice and, and, and get better at because that's a lot of what uh, makes life a lot more uh, enjoyable. Um, it also makes it a lot healthier because when we think about uh, the future and we think about the possibilities, we can, in a sense, look at reality in a more inclusive way. It seems like we're we've been you know again short-sighted, but also we're not seeing the the whole very well. Um, why do you suppose that is? Well, I think that's as you mentioned earlier, it's a question of wisdom and a question of maturity. When people first come into this world, um, they're still learning how to live their own lives and how to have uh, essentially their their situation worked out. But as we get older, we start thinking in terms of other people, uh, in terms of our immediate lovers, and then. Uh, you know, maybe with time with in terms of a family, and then as you grow older, a larger family. Really, we're looking at kind of an accelerated process that allows us to think in terms of broader and broader context. So you go from the family to the community, and then from the community to to essentially the, the, the environment and, and to, you know, larger issues. What we're really looking to do is, is to have that happen sooner and more fully because the kinds of issues that are facing humanity today uh, environmental problems and things like that uh, really require a much higher level of responsiveness on our part in order to be able to adequately address. So while people may have, um, you know, they, they, they get maturity, uh, they develop through life and such like that, uh, assuming things go well, um, you know, we're, we're needing to have more emphasis on that. Uh, I think a lot of the advertising and a lot of the marketplace and such like that, uh, cell phones and Twitter and things like that all um, encourage very short responses, very, very immediate responses, and our attention hasn't really been um, drawn into the, the, the larger context as, as fully. Mm. You know, we, we seem to be moving from a polarized view where the thing is either is or it isn't. Um, is wisdom evolving as a result? I think so. I mean, you know, part of wisdom is a, is a perspective. You know, when we, when we have a larger perspective, when we look at things from a, from a more holistic perspective, we see possibilities that, that otherwise might not have been available. And, and that's, a, that's a, big, a big piece of it. Part, part of the, the benefit of having a larger perspective is seeing those options, those hidden paths. Um, if, you're, if you're presented with, with two choices, you might remember that, that actually you have an even bit bigger choice or a larger choice. Uh, someone may ask you, well, do you want to buy the red car or the blue one? And, and it's our task to remember, well, maybe now is not the time to buy a car. Maybe I want to buy a bicycle, or maybe I basically want to fly on an airplane and travel that way. And, and so it's, it's incumbent upon us to remember the larger context of the choices that we have and not to let ourselves get boxed in with the options that are being presented to us. How about creating options? Um, do, we have the op- do we have the option right now to start creating new options? 
I do think so, yes. In fact, I think that's when we talk about the fundamental structure of reality, um, one of the things that I've, I've, I've basically been working with is, the, is not only can we create options, but that it's necessary and ethical for us to do so. Um, in a lot of ways, there's these, there's these really low-level ideas that basically say, when, it, when presented with a choice, that it's always possible to choose in a win-win manner, and that the way that we make that happen or the way that we can bring that about is by creating new options. Um, you know, we can create uh, intellectual models that, that, that sort of hem us in and things like that, but that really the, the effort here is to think of it in sort of a kind of design modality. How do I design a good choice? How do I design a choice that opens up future possibilities and future choices? So when we're making a choice, we're wanting to look at, you know, actualizing in the present, you know, the best possible outcome, win-win for all people involved, but we also want that choice to lead to future choices, lead to future opportunities which are also enabling for, for all of the participants. And, and that, that's, that's a practice. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing effort. It's an ongoing consciousness. But, but it really carries a lot of rewards because you begin to see options, you begin to see possibilities, and, and to, to manifest them. And it's a very magical thing to do that. Don't you think that it's a process of also rewiring the brain because we have these neurological pathways burnt based on our agreed-upon reality, which is polarized, uh, dog-eat-dog. So aren't we actually having to rewire the way our brain works? Well, in the same way that we would be redeveloping habits. So, yes, in the same way that our, our neurology is, a, is, a, is an abbreviation of our perception. So, in other words, we're not overwhelmed by our experiences. You know, habits are an abbreviation of, of our choices so that we, in a sense, can focus on the things that matter. It's not that all habits are bad or that all neurology is bad. Obviously, there are some things about ourselves that are, that are very well adapted to the world. But for the parts of us that don't fit or the things that aren't working, we need to be able to step back, look at the habits, make them into things that are choices, and then choose differently. And that takes effort. I mean, it's not, it's not overnight that a person changes a habit. Um, you know, when, we, when we're work, reworking our neurology and such like that, it's, it's usually a consistent effort of about 40 days for the new habit to take effect. Yeah, I call, them sub, I call them subroutines. So like you have to dismantle yeah. one subroutine. You have to first become conscious of them, right? And then yeah. dismantle the ones that are no longer serving and choose which ones to build so you still have a structure to come from. Exactly. And that, and that whole process is, is, is very worthwhile. I mean, first of all, it gives us the, the option of replacing non-working subroutines with working ones. And when we do that, we want to think about the kinds of things that the old subroutine was functional for. I mean, sometimes we don't... We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We want to say, okay, well, what were the needs that this was serving, and how can we meet those needs and also all these other needs at the same time and in a better way? So, you know, it's not that we're trying to, you know, wholesale um, just reject um, beliefs or, or habits or, or, you know, neurological patterns. We're basically trying to be conscious of how do we do good design? How do we create a, a method of interaction that is, that is not only healthy for us, but healthy for the environment. And there's no reason why we can't get both of, both of those objectives at the same time. Forrest, what is ontology? It's actually ontology. And it's ontology. The, yeah, it's the study of the nature of being. So mm. in other words, we're, when meta, metaphysics in, in, in sort of the research or academic way is, 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 is classically thought of as asking two really big questions. What is real, and how do we know? The what is real question is, is, is what we mean by ontology. And the how do we know is, is, is known by the term of epistemology. 
and between those two topics, we're, we're really considering the essence of what metaphysics is about, at least as far as a, as a, as a research philosopher would think about it. I tend to, to sort of expand on that notion a little bit to say that the real uh, essence of the inquiry is the relationship between the self and the reality that one lives in, or, or between the subjective and the objective. And that really what we're looking at is an inquiry into the fundamental nature, the basic uh, pattern that is, that is intrinsic to the relationship between uh, self and reality, subjective and objective. And that by understanding that, we can understand things like uh, the scientific method, we can understand about choice, about causality, and a, and a whole host of other things. So it seems like the question itself that on, ontology brings up is um, that process that you were talking about is reexamining, reevaluating, uh, reconsidering in order to let reality evolve. Is that true? Yes. Well, there's a there's sort of a coevolution between self and reality. I mean, if if reality is changing, self needs to evolve in order to stay in balance with reality. And if rea- if self is changing, to some extent, you want to have your environmental circumstances continue to be. Um, you know, in balance with you, and and that really there's a there's a kind of reciprocity between those two those two aspects of it. But the real essence of what is interesting about that relationship is the relationship itself. In the same way that when when we're working on a relationship with another person, it a lot, a lot of it has to do with the communication. How good is the communication? Do people understand one another? Is there relatedness going on? And you know, through that process of of, of thinking about the um, you know the dynamic of the communication between self and reality. We can we can begin to make that communication cleaner, clearer, um, more fulfilling, more healthy, more sound in in, in, in a ecological context, and that that clarity is 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 actually really enabling. It helps us to to see options, make better choices, and to uh, essentially create conscious, sustainable evolution, which is something to strive for in a large way. So you're talking about. Um... The relationship between ourself and our and our, our personal reality, and also the relationship between ourselves and everything else out there. Yes. So, in effect, um, you know, you could think of it as, okay, everything outside of the surface of my skin, I can think of as the world, and everything inside, I can think of myself. But the the position at which we 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 put the the relationship between self and reality is actually something of a variable. I mean, we can we can move the the notion of self and have it be more inclusive or less inclusive depending upon. Uh, what makes sense for the the kind of uh, context that we're thinking in, the choices that we're making. Uh, some of this gets kind of abstract pretty quickly, but the, the main thing that, that we're really looking at is, you know, if, if I want to change a habit, I have to first identify it as a habit in order to make it something that I can be conscious of choosing. Whereas if I'm, if the habit is something that I'm perceiving through, um, then it then it doesn't really look like anything I can choose. It's sort of the context of choice. Um, a good example maybe to think about to, to sort of clarify this is that um, for many people who have who have a driver's license, you know, when they first learn how to drive a car, their their experiences of the steering wheel, of the pedals, of of you know, essentially the immediate uh, automobile itself. But as we get uh, more adapted to to that that experience and that 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 environment, um, eventually we we don't drive with the vehicle; we drive through the vehicle. In other words, the the car becomes an expression of our of our uh, relationship to the road or to other drivers or to to essentially you know some goal I want to get from here to there, and so we're not really thinking of the car as something we interact with, but something we interact through, and that transition from you know being in relationship with to being in relationship through is in a sense treating the automobile as an extension of ourselves, and that would be a case in which the boundary of self has actually moved. 
Um, that sounds again, like a pretty healthy movement. <laughs> it does. And, and so, you know, to some extent, if, if we were having bad driving habits, we'd have to, in a sense, reverse that flow. We'd have to, in a sense, remember that, oh, this is something that, that, that I'm relating with and, and therefore be able to change my relationship with. So, you know, in a lot of ways, we want to move the context uh, around. We want to, in a sense, see from multiple perspectives. Um, you mentioned multidimensionality before. So where does dimensionality come from? Well, we have two eyes, right? Well, I'm, I'm talking the physical, you know, eyeball organ, right? And when we see from both of those perspectives, the, we, we combine this two, each two-dimensional image to create an, a sense of depth, a sense of, of parallax, or essentially being able to tell how far away something is. And in the same way, when, we are, when we're talking about um, perspective from one person communicating with another person, if I can see from someone else's point of view and integrate that with my own perceptions, then I perceive reality in a deeper way with more dimensions. So in a lot of ways, it's, it's actually quite interesting to have conversations with people where you can gain I'm going to have to I'm going to have to pick up on the other side with this subject, and I do want to do that. It's great. Forrest and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break. So don't you go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, thescienceofmagic.net. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. 
Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created mnemology science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, our guest is author Forrest Landry. His website, magic-flight.com. Forrest, we were talking about uh, how you get binocular vision, if you will. You get depth perception because you have two eyes. There's a concept called triangulation, where you look at things from three different viewpoints. When and how does that fit in here? Well, it does. I mean, it's Basically, the combining of multiple viewpoints creates an, an increasing depth. So the more viewpoints that we can bring together, you know, more than just two, uh, the, the greater level of dimensionality and depth that is available. Um, every single pairing between, um, you know, two different viewpoints contributes another dimension. And so if I have uh, three viewpoints, then I have essentially three new dimensions because there's three pairs. If I add four viewpoints, then I get uh, even more uh, possible pairings, and so the, the level of dimensionality increases uh, geometrically in proportion to the number of, of combined uh, viewpoints. And, and really, there, there's, there is a kind of sensitivity. I mean, we want to have um, those viewpoints well combined. In other words, there's a, there's a sense of, of allowing uh, another person's point of view to be truly authentically theirs, and really being honest and, and understanding your own viewpoint, having a good sense of knowledge of self. And then being able to, to, to synthesize or to bring together those, those, those multiple viewpoints in a way that creates coherence, it creates a kind of, of perspective that is inclusive of those. And, and, isn't and this that, is a very powerful technique. Isn't that, what you're, isn't that what you're doing by combining all these different um, things that you're in, you know, from, from philosophy to, to ontology? Isn't that part of what you're doing as well? Yes, I, I, I enjoy uh, many, many different uh, aspects of life, and um, 
being able to think about things uh, from a craftsman point of view, from a um, sort of information science point of view, from from a very theoretical point of view in terms of mathematics or physics, um, you know, from a philosophical point of view, from a kind of human nature and emotional point of view, you know, all of these are very, very different ways of looking at each situation. And by um, basically having facility with each of these languages, each of these uh, modes of relationship, um, we in a sense gain a we, we gain a level of, of facility in the sense that we can say, okay, well, this problem might not be easy to solve in this language, but I know how to translate it into this other language where it really is easy to work with, and I solve it there, and then I can translate the answer back into the first language that I was working in. And this technique is, is it's a known technique. I mean, I, I didn't invent that, but people have been doing things like that for a long time. So by having a lot of languages, you basically have a toolkit that allows you to to, to interact with great facility with new situations and with, with um, you know, new questions that come up that gives you a lot of creative cap capacities. So when we're bringing all these different viewpoints together, what's the value of bringing all the practices together at this particular time? Well, especially uh, for the situation that we're in in the world today, I mean, there's a lot of problems that, 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 that you know, humanity is facing, and they're not going to be solved uh, using the tools and technology that created the problems in the first place. We're, in effect, going to have to design new solutions, come up with new ways of thinking about it. And, and so, in effect, the practice is, is, is one that is, you know, really needing to be sustaining and nurturing of life. Um, you know, anything that doesn't sustain or nurture life is, is, is not going to continue to live. So, you know, just from a um, very practical, very pragmatic point of view, it, it, it's really incumbent upon us to, to, to recognize that, in our, you know, technology and in our capacities that we have, uh, we have in effect become like gods in this world. We we have a level of responsibility with all of these technologies and powers that we have, in a sense, um, you know, encumbered ourselves with. And so, in effect, we we need to be more responsible. We need to be more conscious of the impact of what we're doing. We need to think longer about, you know, the kinds of choices we're making and the kind of impacts they're going to have, and think of. What kinds of choices can we make today that will facilitate a more graceful future? Um, you know, my, my partner basically says, be kind to your future self. And, you know, in the sense, in a, in a larger context, not only do we need to do that individually, but we as a planet, as a species, need to be kind to our future self. Absolutely, we do. What is research metaphysics? So, basically... The, the whole idea is, is, as I mentioned earlier, is essentially an inquiry into the, re, the relationship between self and reality. So on one level, we're looking at it from a theoretical point of view, but on another level, we're looking at it from a very practical point of view. So we're trying to understand what are the essential nature of the relationship between self and reality. And, and, and things we find out, like, for example, um, in the English language, we tend to take the word existence to be real and to be objective as if they were synonymous. But as we investigate we discover that these terms are actually used in different ways and that there's, there's really a distinction between them and that the notion of to be real is actually, in a certain sense, more primal than the notion of to exist or to be objective. Um, and you say, well, okay, that's, that's maybe a technical thing, but what it does is it allow, that, that clarity allows us to ask different questions. So in effect, we, we move to the level of thinking about choice, change, and causality as the foundation of the real. And then we can start thinking about things like, well, what is the relationship between um, choice and uh, determinism as it comes up in, in you know, sort of uh, philosophical 
uh, foundations of science thinking. And, you know, if, if we investigate that, we can say, well, we notice that there is a difference between the notion of causality and the notion of determinism, and that the world that we live in is actually a causal universe rather than a deterministic one. So even though our, our scientific methods are modeled, and mathematics is, is essentially presenting a model which is, which is essentially structured and, and allows us to predict the future and so on and so forth, that there's, a, that there's an element of our experience, there's an element of our inter interaction with reality that is not predictable, that is not knowable in advance. And so, you know, we've explored that with quantum mechanics, and we've explored that with, you know, essentially um, sort of the kind of nonlinear, um, you know, chaotic kind of phenomena such as weather and things like that. And so we're beginning to understand a little bit more about our relationship with reality in terms of time and the, and the you know, fundamental ideas that compose the very foundations of science. That whole area of investigation is what we mean by research metaphysics. Okay. W would, could you speak to the relationship between physics, metaphysics, and philosophy? So physics is essentially, there's, there's three different kinds of questions. So physics is, a, is an answer to a why-type question. So we ask, well, you know, why does this happen or why does that happen? So, you know, and we come up with models. So physics is essentially, you know, an answer to a why question. Metaphysics is actually asking a deeper, a different question, and a somewhat deeper one. Its main question is what. So metaphysics isn't really about trying to answer why something happens. It's just trying to describe the nature of what these concepts are. So, for example, when we say, okay, something is real, or what do we mean by the notion of choice, or what do we mean by the notion of causality, it's not just a semantic exercise. It's more about the relationship between the concepts. So in a sense, what we're trying to do is we're trying to find out what are the deepest concepts that essentially underlie things like the scientific method or the notions of time and space and, and probability. And how do we um, understand the relationships between those concepts and what do those relationships um, actually consist of? How clear can we, can we make our understanding of those relationships? Philosophy, um, in contrast to metaphysics, is essentially asking uh, actually somewhat broader questions. So, you know, traditionally philosophy would be just the study or the love of, of, of kind of the knowledge of, you know, how to live a good life and, and things like that. And it's usually regarded as consisting of topics like ethics, aesthetics, and ethics being, you know, what is a, a, a choice that's a good choice? And uh, aesthetics would be what is a choice that's a beautiful choice? So, you know, if we take a look at um, metaphysics, we're looking at, you know, what is reality and how do we know anything about reality, how do we know anything at all? Whereas when we go to philosophy, we're looking at a more practical uh, human relationship kind of perspective of how do I personally live a good life? What is the, what is the nature by which um, I experience the world and how do I integrate myself into it and how do I integrate my experiences into myself? That gets more mm -hmm. into the notions of spirituality. Got it. So how do you view magic and how would you define it? So in a lot of ways... Um, as an engineer, there's, there's kind of this interesting reciprocity between magic and, and, and engineering. As an engineer, I'm trying to essentially constrain the, the possibilities to be just the thing I want to have happen. So when I'm writing software, I'm trying to prevent bad things from happening and make it so that only the good thing can happen. Whereas in, in a sort of magical way of thinking, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create more possibilities. I'm trying to make it more likely that the good thing will happen by creating more um, more good things to choose from and having essentially uh, opening up the door of more potentiality. Um, so in one case, it's sort of like I'm trying to, 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 to narrow focus in, in, in one direction. In another case, I'm trying to broaden focus and make it more attractive in that particular direction. 
Aren't you Daddy always? Is, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was I was going to ask. Aren't you all also uh, working with? So if you're working with the engineering, you're working with the physical aspect, and when you're working with the magic, you're working before it becomes physical, like in the quantum level. Well, in a sense, potentiality is is not a physical thing. I mean, you know, we mm-hmm. we have actuality. You know, we have essentially the see and touch world that is that is essentially our immediate experience. But the the potentials of the future, what could happen, what sort of things are are, are possible, um, we are in effect in, engaged in a, an exercise of design. We're looking at opening up more possibilities, and I'm not just thinking about that in a technological way. I'm thinking about that also in emotional ways. You say, as you as you have greater wisdom and you per- perceive uh, more possibilities, you have more. Um, dimensions and levels of engagement, more languages that you speak in terms of you know the skills and practices, you begin to see how to open up the door to more things to become possible, and and to encourage those things, to sort of nurture them. Um, magic is not a, it's not something that we can compel. It's 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 only something that we can encourage, and so in a lot of ways, you know, it's it's sort of like uh, you know trying to create growth or try to create healing. Um, you can't purchase those things at a drugstore. You have to, in a sense, nurture them into being by creating good, nurturing circumstances. How much does our um, belief systems and our intent play into delving into magic? I think it plays a lot of a role. I mean, you know, when I, when I think about the practice, I'm thinking about intent as essentially being uh, the very first and most essential step. Well, actually, there's lots of essential steps, but the first the first aspect is to have clarity of intention. Mm-hmm. You want to be really specific about what it feels like to, to, to have a certain experience. I mean, you know, if we're, if we're looking about, uh, you know, relationships, for example, I need to, in a sense, have the, the clarity about the qualities of the person I want to come into relationship with rather than say things like uh, how tall they are and how, how much they might weigh or what their eye color might be or, or you know, those, those kinds of attributes would actually be very limiting. Whereas if you're talking about uh, qualities of experience and, and you become really, really clear about that, then in effect what you've done is you've allowed the form of how that, that, um, that experience may come into your life um, to, to, to essentially be open. It's, it's sort of like you make a deal with the universe. You say, okay, I'm going to pick how it feels, and you can pick how it shows up. And the clearer <laughs> you are about yeah. how it feels, the, the, the simpler it's going to be for it to show up. So it's a, so, it's an act of envisioning what you want or designing it in the imagination. And I've heard that if you can't imagine it, you can't create it. That's true. And and the thing is, is that in effect, what we're looking is to have a have a clear feeling. So we're trying to imagine the experience as we receive it. And and part of that, as you were saying, if you can't imagine it, it's it's, it's that you can't see yourself receiving it. And, and and so as a result, the effort becomes. How do I become the vehicle that can receive this experience? How do I transform myself so that I can, I can in a sense, recognize when the opportunity has arisen, when the, when the we're circumstances that the iron We're going to have to take another little time out. Forrest and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric, working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net.
Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, 
the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Again, our guest this hour is Forrest Landry. His website, magic-flight.com. Forrest, we've been um, you know, pondering very heady things for the, the first part of this program, Let's go into love. What can you tell me about love? So basically, love is that which enables choice. And this is a, a very, 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 very specific practice. When we say we love another person, the, the highest meaning of that is to essentially say, I'm choosing in a way that enables your choices. I don't want to choose on behalf of you. I don't want to limit your choices. I want you to become the most complete, most alive, most creative and vibrant and fulfilled version of yourself that is possible. And in doing that, I get to know who you are. I get to know more of the, of the creature that you are and that you can become. So when we, when we say that we love another person, we're really talking about a, a very deep knowledge of of you know, ourselves and of them and, and basically wanting to enable them to become more alive. So the notion of enabling choice is, is very, very fundamental to this idea. And there's a lot of different ramifications to that. So, for example, when we're talking about how a, a parent might love a child, we're looking at a situation where the parent knows that someday that child is, is going to become an adult and that the best way that we can ser- serve them, the best way that we can enable them to, to have a healthy and fulfilled life is to is to encourage wisdom in them, to encourage them to be aware of the choices and to make good choices. And we can't do that by making the choices for them. We can only do that by, by essentially nurturing their capacity to choose. And obviously this is a very gradual thing. You don't want to, to put too many choices in front of a person too quickly, but you want to basically do it in a way that, that is integrated with their, with their current uh, situation, with their current level of health and awareness. And that really when we're talking about enabling choice, we're really implementing the practice of love. And, and so this is, this is a different way of thinking about it. It's not necessarily grounded in just how one feels or the emotions that one has or, or some sort of you know, particularly poetic way of looking at it, but it's a very, very clear way of thinking about it. When I'm wondering whether or not someone's loving me, I can think about, you know, are they, are they trying to limit who I am or are they trying to enable who I am? And if I... If I get the sense that it's an enabling thing, then I'm going to have the experience. I'm going to have the feeling of being loved. And the way that I create that in other people, like I said, is essentially to create choice, to create options, to create things which are, which are nurturing to them and their well-being. Um, and this, this scales to all sorts of levels. For instance, we could think about you know, the relationship between, say, a government and the people. 
Um, what is the function of government? What is it for? Well, ultimately, fundamentally, it's really about you know protecting the land and the people. And that if we have a really enlightened government, we're looking at something that is not just protecting them; it's actually helping them to thrive. It's helping you know people to live fulfilled lives. It's helping to create uh, you know a side of sort of ecology that is that is preserving for future generations, and so that they can in a sense have fulfilled lives. You know, there's this notion of love as that which enables choices is is truly a key touchstone as to what is the, the essential idea of what we mean by that term. So if we get down more into the energetics of it, is love an emotion, or do we have an emotional response to its frequency? I think of love as an emotion. So I've, I've described it as a practice, but mm-hmm. I'm also uh, you know, saying that energetically it, it is an emotion. It's, it's essentially a flow of energy. So in a, in a lot of ways we can think of it as kind of like this this cloud of energy that is, is is permeating all things, and that when we're when we're basically trying to show love to another person, what we do is we tap into this this field of potentialities, and we take some of the the potentials that we experience, some of the energies that we experience there, and we we focus it in the direction of another person. We bring it to a, to a kind of a, a clarity to to essentially enable another person. But it starts off as an emotional experience. Um, well, at least I'm saying that there's a there's an, there's an energetic element to it. I mean, any time that we're, we're expressing an energy, any time that we're making a choice, we're, in a sense, you know, moving energy from the inside, from the subjective into the outside world, into the objective. And so in a lot so, of ways, yeah. When we're, when, we're, when, we're, when we're letting love move through us into the world, loving others, loving our environment, how, what effect does that have on the world at large? Well, the, the first thing I wanted to say is, is that to allow love to move through oneself Clarity is essential, right? The, the, the more that we can create clarity in ourselves, the more clean and, and uh, pure and, 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 and supportive our love actually is. When that, that clarity manifests in the world, it manifests as a kind, of, uh, a kind of a light. It manifests as a kind of enablement. And so as a sense, what, what happens is, is that the, the increased potentialities in the world lead to an actuality that is more, uh, more fulfilling because obviously that's the whole point. I mean, if we... If we weren't loving very well, the world itself would would not improve. It wouldn't necessarily become a better place. Um, you know, it's kind of cliche as a as a uh, you know a manufacturer or as a as a business owner to say, hey, you know, I want to change the world. Whereas really, what we're looking at is is helping other people. We're looking at creating essentially uh, lives that are that are easier, um, you know, more fulfilled, more alive. And and of course, that is making the world a better place. So, you know, there's there's it's 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 not. Uh, it's not difficult to to hypothesize that, you know, by thinking about, um, you know, sustaining conscious, um, you know, conscious sustainable evolution, we're looking at, um, you know, essentially helping the world to be healthier. Mm. Would Would you speak to the importance of the unity of heart and mind, particularly at this time? So when we when we act as a whole self, the, the effectiveness that we have, the, the level of influence, the level of, of impact that we have in the world is, is, is greatly increased. So, for instance, if, we, if we're acting as a whole being, heart, mind, and body, if we're, if we're in a sense, all aligned, moving in the same direction, then that, that becomes a, a very powerful force, a very organized, um, you know, the, the more coherent I am, the more, uh, the more that all of the aspects of my being are in alignment, um, the more that that uh, coherency leads to potentiality, leads to a kind of uh, magical capacity to create more options. 
when the self is divided, when the heart's moving in one direction and the mind's moving in another and the counsel of being is essentially divided, uh, one's effectiveness in the world is greatly diminished. It's, 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 it's not in proportion. It's like, a, it's like a logarithmic or an exponential effect. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm divided in half and, 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 you know, conflicted in my own sense, my effectiveness in the world is, is much less than half the influence. Whereas if I'm unified as a being, or better, if I'm in coherency with other people, and we're all together moving as a group, then, then the level of, of change that can be created, the level of potentiality that's available is enormous, much, much greater than the sum of the parts. So you see love as, as unifying, as the essence that unifies all things? It, it allows us to come together in a coherent way. It allows us to, in a sense, be not only able to cooperate, but to have the maturity and the vision to see what sort of changes, what sort of things we want to encourage, what sort of uh, things that are actually right, a win-win choice to make in the world. And, you know, that's really easy to get behind. I mean, you know, if we're talking about unconditional love, we have to, in a sense, enable unconditional acceptance. And that's a, that's a reciprocal process in ourselves as well as in other people. Mm. Obviously, if we create that kind of outcome, um, you know, there's no question that people are going to be happy here. I, I, you know, I, it, on, on a philosophical level, all of this is very simple. When we're getting down to the actual practices of it, of course, you know, the real essence of it, like I said, is, is creating clarity. How do I become clear? And the more clear I am, the more that I can let the light, the light through. I can, I can, in a sense, let the openness happen. Mm, yeah, I have a saying. The, when, the uh, light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. It's all about clarity, isn't it? Exactly. So, so what's next for you, Forrest? What do you believe your service is to, to the world? Well, as, as you've probably noticed, I, I, I basically am trying to enable the world to be a better place. And my, my particular idea of that is to have, um, you know, my focus, I guess, the specific thing that I'm, that I'm particularly um, about is the relationship between um, man and nature in terms of how we create health uh, in the trees particularly. Uh, my name is Forrest, so I, I have a particular reverence for trees. I have a particular reverence for the forest. And so... Uh, a lot of what I'm, I'm interested in is, in a sense, creating healthier ecosystems. And that's, that's been sort of the focus of why I've developed all this philosophy, why I think about these issues, um, and how I bring you know, business practices together and, and all that. So it's the... <laughs> my head just opened up when you said that. Um, life works in a particular way, and it sounds to me like you're hooking into it on all levels, including in computers and in trees. That's, that's absolutely correct. I, I see um, a great unity between um, a, a very analog way of relating to the world and a very digital way of relating to the world. I have uh, great depth of experience in, in both realms, the analog and the digital, and for me the interesting questions are the, are the relationships between the two, um, you know, looking at the organic, uh, working with wood and so on and so forth, and at the same time understanding how you know, people interact and how the, the ecosystem is essentially uh, created around a product, and at the same time, you know, understanding things like computer science and and looking at mathematics and technology and the kinds of ways in which those interact with humanity and nature as well. Um, fascinating series of questions in that space. I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about the relationship between the organic and the inorganic. And it goes back to multidimensionality, doesn't it? It does indeed. It does indeed. Forrest, I can't thank you enough for the beautiful service you're doing to the world. And you keep your hands on that wood. It seems to be giving you some good uh, lessons there. <laughs> Bless the trees, huh? <laughs> you're most welcome. 
<laughs> Bye-bye now. Our guest this hour has been Forrest Landry, an author, philosopher, researcher, scientist, software developer, engineer, and craftsman. His website, magic-flight.com. This has been the Science of Magic. Until next time, dear ones, may you find all you desire, want, and need as you live in the center of unconditional love. 